0: If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Uh, There should be some Bibles in the chairs in front of you. We're on page 847. It'll be the second book in the New Testament. We are taking a break from Joshua. And if you glanced ahead, you're thinking, thank you for doing that. And we're going to spend this week in... Good Friday and Easter Sunday, looking at Mark's gospel and the events of Holy Week. It is Palm Sunday, and here John Mark records for us the events of Jesus' triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 is our scripture reading. Hear God's holy word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent Two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door side outside the street and they untied it some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed, they were shouting. Father, thank you for your word that teaches us truth, and the truth that is in Jesus. So Lord, this morning we pray that the truth of Jesus would transform our hearts. We pray this in his name. Amen. This past October, our family had the opportunity to take a vacation to Gulf Shores, to the Alabama Gulf Coast. Uh, it, was, it was fall break for the children. We've done this many times in the fall. We've gone down to the Gulf Coast. It's our favorite time of year to go. Uh, it's one of our favorite places to go. I love going down there to relax and read and rest and enjoy God's creation. And one of the things that we like to do when we get down there is turn our phones off. <laughs> Put away the electronics to just Chill. <laughs> You know, to relax, to enjoy being together away from the normal hustle and bustle of everyday life. This past fall when we were down there at the beach, we were on about day two. And that's, you know, that's about when you start relaxing, right? Till all of a sudden the report started coming in. Did you know there's a hurricane forming out in the Gulf? Ah. We went from relaxed to me having to be, you know, 24 hours a day, seven day a week weatherman. What are we going to do? This thing is, is building strength very fast, and it looks like it's coming straight for the Alabama, Florida Gulf Coast. It's headed straight for us. There goes our relaxing. I'm sorry. I'm still a little bitter about it. I think it just, <laughs> uh, even pastors get upset at storms. Um, the storm grew stronger and stronger very quickly, and the target was headed at that point right for us. We had a decision to make. Would we ride it out and see what happens, or would we leave to avoid danger? Many, many years ago, before we had children, Laura and I rode a tropical storm out in Gulf Shores. We will never do that again, (laughs) and that was our decision this time. It was an easy decision for us, Danger was coming, we needed to keep our family safe, so we left. The moral of the story is, when it comes to keeping my family safe, I will do everything within my power to do so. I will avoid danger at all costs, so I can protect my family, especially when I know the danger is coming. Maybe many of you last night were preparing your homes and your safe places. we knew storms were coming. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He saw the danger before him. He saw the coming storm. And he went straight in it. He went straight for the danger. The writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross In Philippians, Paul writes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus knowingly went into the heart of the storm, knowing that he would have to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Knowing this truth about Jesus, knowing that he went straight toward the danger. What else could we say this morning than he reigns? Hosanna in the highest. Mark chapter 11, if you are familiar with the Gospels, you'll note that it is a major transition point in the Gospel of Mark and in Jesus' ministry. It's the beginning of Jesus' last week on earth, what we call Holy Week or Passion Week. All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reserve a very large portion of their scripture, of of their books, of their writings, to this week, his last week of life. More than a third of the Gospel of Mark is devoted to these events, namely, Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. For the most part, in the Gospel of Mark so far, Jesus' ministry had been somewhat private. Uh, There were no announcements or posters put up around the ancient Near East announcing Jesus' crusades or anything like that. It's simply one episode after another of Jesus going from town to town, village to village, preaching and teaching that the gospel of the kingdom is here. And he would heal many along the way. But something very different is about to happen. Jesus' telling his disciples to kind of keep quiet about what's going on. That's that's all about to change. Jesus is about to make a very public entrance into Jerusalem. In a sense, all of Mark's gospel is building up to this moment. So far, there's been this immediacy and this urgency. If you ever try to read the book of Mark all in one sitting, you're going to get this like feeling, you know, hurry up, let's go. And that was what Mark was trying to do. There's an urgency, there's an immediacy to the, to the story of Jesus leading up to this moment that he would enter Jerusalem for the last week of his life to be a sacrifice of atonement. Our response to this urgency should be the same as Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the response to this urgent call. But Jesus, his arrival in Jerusalem has many important lessons to teach us that I want us to look through in this passage. Three lessons about his arrival. The first is his arrival was purposeful. It was for all the world to see. Secondly, His arrival was humble. It was not as everyone expected it it might be. And thirdly, his arrival was contemplative as he went to the temple to look around. Let's look at those three things. The first is his arrival was purposeful. It was for all the world to see. Again, contrasted with the rest of the book of Mark, this episode is quite the grand entrance into the royal city. I mean, loud shouts, people taking their cloaks off, palm branches being waved. Uh, Now, to be sure, Jerusalem was no New York City or, or Atlanta. Ancient cities were not quite as grandiose and as big in the scale that they are now. But nevertheless, it was a large city, thought to be home to about a half a million people. But this particular week of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem was a special week because it was Passover week, one of the three main festivals that, on the Jewish calendar where they would assemble in this important city to celebrate these important holy days. And so it was estimated that there probably was about two and a half million people in and around the city during Passover. So imagine a city swelling to nearly five times its inhabitants. The place would have been packed. It would have been a madhouse. Think about this. Think about this. Jesus chooses to arrive in Jerusalem at a time that there would have been maximum exposure about who he was and what he came to do. This would have been the most opportune time for him to make a public entry into Jerusalem when it was likely that there was not a spare room in the entire city. And that night, as people gathered in their homes and in the inns and in the barns, his name and and his arrival would have been on everyone's lips. They had just heard that this guy had raised a man from the dead. And now what had he come to Jerusalem to do? And now think about this. Jesus deliberately, intentionally, purposefully went to Jerusalem, knowing that he would die. And that's kind of a G-rated version, right? Knowing that he would be killed, crucified. Matthew Henry says, Christ's coming into Jerusalem thus remarkably shows that he was not afraid of the power and malice of his enemies and that this should encourage the disciples who are full of fear. And this should encourage us too. This should bring great courage and love and hope for us that we have a Savior who has great purpose in what he is doing. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus did not avoid danger. He set his joy directly before him. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Know this. Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing that he would die, not as a martyr, not as a martyr, but as a sacrifice, that he would be treated and killed like an animal. Yes, he entered Jerusalem with great pomp and great circumstance, with loud shouts of Hosanna. But his kingly reign would not be as everyone expected. That week did not go like anyone expected. Sinclair Ferguson states that Jesus had come to take his throne, but had committed himself to begin his reign from a cross. He would reign from a cross. Jesus' eyes were fixed on the cross. He came to die, and he intended to do so in the most public way imaginable at the time. He drew the attention of everyone, Jew, Gentile, the whole world. Even the great Roman Empire at that time would have been watching because they didn't want this Passover to get out of hand. Jesus ordained that his death would be a very public one. He would not be a private savior. He would die before many witnesses. His sacrifice would not be in private. It would be for the whole world to see. For the whole world to know that Jesus saves. Secondly, his arrival was a humble one. It was a humble arrival, not as everyone expected. Mark doesn't give us all the details of this scene, but we know that his disciples, especially his apostles, they were sometimes not the smartest of characters. And so put yourself in their shoes. And your Lord, your master, says, Go fetch me a donkey. A donkey. You know, kind of a silly animal if you think about it. And not just any donkey, just a little donkey, a colt. Because I'm going to ride on it to Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, when anybody asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs it. That's the point where I would become very inquisitive. Are you sure about this? <laughs> what exactly do you mean? Like, who am I looking for? But they went immediately. And things happened just as he said. But think about this. Think about Jesus' arrival. If you were given the task of creating a Messiah, you had to choose for yourself a Messiah. You got to choose or create a Savior King. What kind of Messiah would you pick? What kind of Messiah would you make for yourself or for the world? Would your Messiah be a genie? would pop out at any time and fulfill any of your wishes. Would your Messiah be a football coach to give you a daily motivational pep talk? Would your Messiah be a Disney vacation planner to give you the best life experiences every single day? Would your Messiah be a cosmic therapist to listen to all your problems? Would your Messiah be like Jesus of Nazareth? Would your Messiah ride into Jerusalem on a silly little donkey? You see, Jesus doesn't really fit into the world's ideas of a Messiah, does he? He's not the type of king that we expect. Because here we find him in Mark's gospel coming very humbly, meek. And of course, his entry into Jerusalem was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. You've heard it before, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He came humbly, and this was in lockstep with the Savior's purpose. He came humbly, not in riches. The Bible says he came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble messiah. And even though he may not be the Messiah that we want, even though he may not be the Messiah that we would create, he's the Messiah that we need. He's the Messiah that we long for. Because in Jesus we find this this beautiful paradox A marvelous description of who he is from beginning to end. He is both the lion and the lamb. Two juxtaposing creatures. He is both humble and absolutely sovereign and powerful. J.C. Ryle gives this wonderful description here of these two beautiful descriptions of Christ. He says, it is meet and right that we should never forget the union of the divine and human natures in our Lord's person. In other words, he's fully God and fully man. Because if we saw his divine acts only, we might forget that he was a man. If we saw his seasons of poverty and weakness only, we might forget that he was God. But we are intended to see in Jesus divine strength and human weakness united in one person. He is both lion and lamb. That is who our Jesus is. Last His arrival was contemplative. And that's just the best word I could find. Jesus goes to visit the temple one last time. Look at verse 11. I've been pondering this verse all week. It is strange to me. Why does Mark record this? Right after the loud shouts and the triumphal entry, The Great Commotion, Mark records that Jesus goes to the temple, and he looks around. This is a very interesting detail that is recorded for us here. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he go to the temple and look around? Mark does not give us any reasons for why Jesus did this. And so we're only left to speculate. The other Gospels don't give us much help here either. So let's do that for a moment. Let's speculate. But this is where we have to be very careful. Because we don't know for sure why he did this or what. But let's think that. Think about that for a moment. What were Jesus' thoughts as he made his way into the temple courts and he looked around? As he looked around at everything, what did he notice as he looked around? All the people, all the activities that would have been going on at the temple at that time. What was he thinking? Did he examine the priest as they were preparing the animal sacrifices? Did did he notice the people preparing their hearts, purchasing their animal sacrifices to make atonement for their sins? Did he see the blood flowing down from the altars? Thinking that it would soon be his blood? Did he smell the aroma of burnt offerings filling the Temple Mount area, knowing that he would soon be offered up for sin? As we contemplate what Jesus noticed, what he was looking around at, what he was thinking. Let's do the same as we approach this table of grace. Let's look at it. Let's think about it. Let's touch it. Let's smell it. Let's taste it. Let's see it. Let's think about what Jesus did. Let's think about his sacrifice. Think about his determination. Think about his purpose. Think about his mission. Think about his sacrifice. It's the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known and will ever know. Smell. Taste. Remember. Praise God. That he would send his one and only son as a once and for all sacrifice. Look. Look at what God has done. And so, how should we respond as we contemplate these things? As we think about what Jesus has done? How do we respond? We should respond by giving Jesus our best. Our best affections. He is the wonderful, merciful Savior whose mercies flow from his cross. May Jesus have all of our praises. Praise be to God in the highest, in the highest heavens who reigns forever. May Jesus have our hearts. Hosanna in the highest. J.C. Ryle, one more time in closing. Without that death, without Jesus' death, we should have nothing solid beneath our feet. May we prize that death more and more every year we live. And in all our thoughts about Christ, Rejoice in nothing so much as the great fact that He died for us. He died for us. And He did it for all the world to see. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for our wonderful, merciful Savior, our great King and Messiah, Jesus. Not the one of our own making, not some idol that we might choose, but the Messiah that we need, the king that we desire to rule over us, the lover of our souls. Help us to think about him, worship him, and love him more every day. We praise you and thank you for his once and for all sacrifice. For it is in his holy name that we pray. Amen.